Welcome, everyone, to the Asian Voices Radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American and Pacific Islander conversations about topics, including things you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and uh, today's going to be a really special day. I've known this uh, special guest that we have coming on the show for quite a long time. Um, Let me just read you some of his accolades. He is the recipient of numerous awards, commendations, and recognition for his community involvement and outreach efforts. For the past decade, he's hosted and produced many cultural events and festivals in San Diego, namely the Asian Cultural Festival of San Diego, the San Diego Ramen Festival, and the AMP Music Festival, and many more. He is also known for his humanitarian efforts around the globe. He's volunteered at an orphanage in Thailand. He's helped build a classroom, volunteered um, at an educational center in Indonesia. He's taught English, distributed water filters. Um, he's also uh, been in Kenya, Tanzania, and he's also brought supplies to Nepal. I mean, that's just a couple of things he's done, but he's done much more. And we're going to talk more about that with him. Please welcome Dennis Michael Brassard. How are you doing, Dennis Michael? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show, Hula. Of course. I mean, um, for those that don't know, uh, you're known as DM, so I'm going to refer to you as DM just in case, you know. That's totally cool. Had to do the formal introduction, but real quick, DM, um, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, I kind of talked about your accolades, but, you know, where are you from? Where were you born? Like, let's start right at the very beginning. Ooh, at the beginning, huh? Let's see. (laughs) So... Uh, I was born in the U.S., but before I was even able to walk, we moved out of the U.S. My father was in the Navy, mm-hmm. and so we uh, were all over kind of the Pacific, but mostly in the Philippines because my mom is Filipino. Okay. And we lived there for quite a while, and then, you know, when, when their marriage didn't work out, then I ended up moving to the U.S. Uh, when I was 12, and I ended up moving to New Orleans to live with my father's family, my my. Uh, my side of French descent, so my white side. And I lived there in New Orleans until I moved to San Diego for graduate school. And I just kind of stuck around. And as I was getting more involved, I was getting involved with different organizations, meeting cool people like you. And <laughs> and it just it just snowballed from there. Like, I mean, you know, you're going to, you know, just live in your life, you know, going through your life and you get into college and what got you into like doing a lot more humanitarian? Like, did you think your life was going to be this way at an early age or how did you get involved with all of these amazing organizations? Uh, yeah. So no, I, I did not think that I was going to be kind of involved with humanitarian efforts. Uh, when I moved to San Diego, w- one of my motivations to get involved with community organizations was just to meet people. Cause I had come out here not knowing anybody and I was uh, kind of alone Mm-hmm. And so I, I was volunteering for different organizations, uh, different nonprofits, American Cancer Society, the Japanese, the Japan Society, uh, did different organizations. And the more that I was doing nonprofit work, the more that I felt community work was really was going to be uh, a focus for me, an emphasis in my life. And right. that coupled with me, like traveling is a deep, deep passion of mine. I eventually merge those two passions and interests and doing, you know, community work, giving back, doing stuff for the disenfranchised, uh, impoverished, the underserved communities, whatever. And then traveling, I I was like, I I can combine these. So I started, first of all, by volunteering for the International Humanitarian Foundation, who has 
orphanages and education centers all over throughout Southeast Asia, primarily in Indonesia, but in, also in Thailand. Right. And one of my first real international efforts was volunteering for that organization in in Chiang Mai, or Chiang Rai, in the north of Thailand. So okay. I was there for about two weeks, just kind of helping out at the at the orphanage and uh, helped to build a classroom there. And well, the, the the room was built already, but we like cleaned it up and fixed it up, and it's still operating to this day. Oh as, wow! As as, uh, as a classroom for the kids who were there, and that was a quite a long time ago. And since then, I've gone from getting involved with these organizations who, who, who have something set already, they, they've got their operations in place, to being inspired to do my own thing. And, and I eventually ended up doing uh, water, working water, bringing, bringing water filters to places that don't have access to clean drinking water. Uh, and I've done that a number of times, a number mm-hmm. of countries, mostly throughout Africa, but also in the Philippines. Right. Right. No, I mean, uh, like I said, I've known you for quite a while. And originally when we first met, um, it was through your organizations where you were, you know, planning events and, um, you know, you're bringing Asian culture into the forefront, which I thought was amazing because, you know, living in San Diego, yes, growing up, um, you know, myself, Filipino in Spring Valley, California, you, you don't really, you know, you you see your culture, but you don't see it showcased very much. And it's cool what you've done. You've you've brought the culture into the forefront. Um, so kudos to you on that. But now you've, you utilize your skills doing that into doing these humanitarian efforts. And it just goes hand in hand. I mean, it, it's amazing what you do. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, as far as these, the cultural events. Yeah. I, in one of the other first organizations I got involved with was San Diego Asian Film Festival. Right. And so through that, I met a lot of other people. And then I got eventually involved with the Phil M Fest. Uh, and I, I know you've been a part of that for many years when, when right. back in its heyday. And when I got control of that, me and this lady, Lillian, who now lives in the Bay Area, Lillian mm-hmm. Villaraza, uh, <laughs> she and I took what was a very small event and made it into a massive, massive Filipino event for Filipino American History Month in October. Right. And the first year that we we did it, you know, we were expecting like two, three thousand people, but we had almost ten thousand people that first year, and it right. just kept growing from there. It, it became the biggest Filipino American event in Southern California, uh, rivaling even the Filipino Festival in Los Angeles at a, at a time. Wow. Yeah, and then from there, yeah, that was huge. And from there, uh, talking about bringing Asian cultures to the forefront, right? Like there was nothing really in San Diego for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, which is May. So Mm -hmm. me and uh, a bunch of friends, uh, also all people who are interested in community and giving back and, you know, creating fun events, Um, we decided let's let's do something for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. There's so many Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in San Diego, but nothing to commemorate. Um, nothing really, nothing on a large scale. There was a dragon boat race, but it was like, okay, that's a couple hundred people. And it's right. cool that there's that, but there wasn't anything really big. And then we created the Asian Cultural Festival to to do that. And we we went 10 years strong, 10 years in a row, uh, mm-hmm. up until well, up until last year, the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, that we all 
didn't expect and and definitely changed a lot for uh, a lot of you know especially what you do um you know speaking of the events not only let's let's be honest not only did you like bring these these events out to the forefront and brought out you know asian culture asian pacific culture to in front of a lot of people that maybe wouldn't see it but you also link that to humanitarian efforts because a lot of times a lot of your cultural events would lead into raising money for an organization and which would allow you to bring that money and do, you know, cool things with these, um, you know, these underserved um, areas. So I, I mean, just seeing all that link in together is just amazing. Uh, totally. Like w- when I first started doing events, uh, I did it as a side project. It wasn't even a business. It wasn't anything that I was looking to do on a full-time basis. It was just something I wanted to do something cool and I wanted someone to benefit from it. So in, in, in my early days of just doing this as, as a side project, I was helping out these organizations that no one knew about that I thought had great causes mm-hmm. and, and were worthy of any media attention, of worthy of any spotlight. So there was the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition. There was this, I forget the name, but there's this, this organization that was based in Tijuana and they helped kids with with AIDS, mm-hmm. and and uh, and and even before I went to Africa, I was helping this organization called Africa Aid with the different events that I was producing, or I wasn't even thinking about producing them then. I was just putting them together and inviting people to come. Right, just no, everything it, snowballed from there. No, and it's it's awesome. I, I, like I said, I I've known you for a while, and to see what you've created and what you've done, um, it's commendable. So congrats to you on all that stuff, but. Besides being, you know, this event planner and humanitarian, you are, you have something on your Facebook page. I do follow you on Facebook. Uh, it's called DM World Adventures. Tell me a little bit about what that's all about. Oh, so you're, you're my one follower on that page. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I am one. Yes. The one. I look at my views and I'm like, oh, I got one view today. Oh, now I know who it is. It's me. <laughs> yeah. So DM World Adventures is my travel blog. It's kind of like, uh, instead of just using my personal Facebook page to just just incessantly post and just drown everyone's feed with my travel stuff. I just created a, a second a second Facebook page to to document like my my adventures and and to put stuff on there. And it's primarily for for me to go back through and be like, oh this was cool. Look at these pictures and this is right. one of the places that I've been. But uh, slowly people have been appreciative of the pictures that I've been able to put up or the the things that I'm able to share. Because whenever I go somewhere and I post a picture of something, it's not just like, oh, here's a, a monument or whatever. Like I'll look up about it and then write the history or, right. or something about it. Like uh, I'll go to Wikipedia and be like, oh, okay, this isn't, I'll, I'll put the history and what, what's significant about it, what's relevant about it. like, and And just so that it's more of an educational thing too. Uh, again, primarily for me, but for anyone who happens to come upon my page and they'll be like, wow, that's cool. What is this? And they can read exactly what it is and why it's relevant or significant or important. Yes. And if you want to check it out again, let me remind you, it is DM World Adventures. Again, DM World Adventures. Um, But speaking of world adventures, and we brought up the whole pandemic, obviously with, with travels, that's kind of changed. And you were telling me off the air, about um, a situation where you were literally traveling all the way up to March of 2020. Where were you again? And, and what happened? I, I was in East Africa. I was in, doing another humanitarian project in, in Tanz- um, I'm sorry, in Uganda this time. I was going to the north of Uganda to distribute water filters 
Uh, there's a pastor uh, who lives up there, a friend of mine, Okello, who I had met when I had gone to Kenya three years before that to do the same thing in Kenya. So last March, I was going to Uganda to the north part to uh, a town called Gulu outside of Noya. I'll never mm -hmm. say that right, but it's Noya. <laughs> and we went to this village called Gulu where there's water, but it's 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 not clean. And, and they're they're having a hard time getting like, I don't know what the, the term for it is, like clean, drinkable, potable water. Like to, filtered water. Yes, filtered water, safe water uh, mm -hmm. to like people who lived not necessarily directly in the town. They lived a little bit outside of the town. There was okay. no, or there is no like sewage or, or pipes to bring water out there. And the prevalence of water filters uh, is, is like, it's, it, they're either not good enough or they're really outdated or really mm -hmm. old styles of water filter, or they just can't afford them. Mm -hmm. So I had brought like a hundred water filters to distribute to the yeah, people in need. So my friend Okello, he's a pastor and he, he has access to like, you know, people who, who have little means, people who don't have a lot of money or, but have the need for something like clean water. Well, everyone has a need for clean water, but they just don't have access to it. Right. So I went up there and I thought, okay, a hundred water filters, hundred is like nowhere near enough, but it's all I could really bring. And I'm just one person. And, and I, I was raising money to do this. And, and, and as much as I want to help with what I can, it's just, it's just, just never enough. Right. And, I, and then you have to be picky. You have to be selective about how you distribute it. And for me, like talking to Okello, he's a, he, he has a church, he has a congregation, so I'm giving more of the water filters to the church. That way there's more, like it's more accessible to poor people instead of like individual. Yeah, I want to give every single individual a water filter, right? But it doesn't serve the greatest good to give it to one person versus where more people will have access to clean water. So gave it to the church, his, 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 his church up there in, in Gulu. And then we met the city council uh, members for that town. And then I gave mm -hmm. them a bunch because they were able to distribute to other people who weren't necessarily members of his church. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, going back to your question, that trip ended and I was on my way home the day before the travel ban was instated. So I was kind of like, okay, the travel ban is tomorrow. I'm leaving tonight. My flight is tonight, but technically it's tomorrow. So I was kind of like in this gray area. I was like, am I going to be able to get back in? And right. as I have my layover in Frankfurt, uh, in Germany, it may not have been Frankfurt, but I'm waiting in the airport and I'm hearing all these other like Americans who are all, they've, they're all talking about having changed their travel plans. They all coughed up the extra money to be able to fly back into the U.S. before mm -hmm. they thought that they couldn't get in because no one really understood the travel ban. No one really knew what it meant. We all just kind of like vaguely heard and this state, there's no more entry into the U S but uh, later on, I found out that that didn't necessarily mean for American citizens. That just meant for anyone coming in, but it was so unclear that everyone was right. afraid of being stuck outside of the U S. So, uh, wow. That's, you know, that's, so crazy, you know, obviously nobody knew exactly what was going on, but, uh, you know, obviously you got back into the country because 
I guess, of those vague moments of not knowing what exactly was going on. So it works. You're in. Um, but as far as I heard you recently traveled, correct? Yeah. Over over the New Year break, my lady and I, we went over on to Egypt. Uh, that was a, a trip that I had bought pre-pandemic. And the whole year, as all of my trips are being canceled... And I am an avid traveler. I, I know the good deals and, and whatever. So I had a few trips planned throughout the summer. And every international trip between May and November got canceled. So mm-hmm. our turn of the year trip, our New Year's Eve trip to Egypt, I, I, was, I was convinced that that was going to be canceled as well. But it wasn't. Uh, Egypt had reopened, I think, in like mid-October. And okay. And so long as you had a negative COVID test, right? So every country that, even if no matter what their level of openness is, you still have to have a negative COVID test, depending on the country, 72 to 96 hours taken before you enter the country. Right. So that was something that we were stressing about because it's like, okay, it's Christmas time. We got to take this COVID test and we got to get the result before we go to the airport. But mm-hmm. how, how do we time it? How do we know when the result is going to come in? Uh, so that, that was kind of a stress in and of itself. And, and luckily, we took the test a few days before we left, like two days before we left. Both of us, uh, we got our results the next day. And then we mm-hmm. were able to show that to the airline, show that to um, the airport where we had a layover, and to show that upon entry into Cairo. So that, that was that was kind of a scare. That was a stressor right there. And yeah, I went to went to Egypt. We were there for like two weeks. And that that was that was really interesting. That was and I'm not sure where to talk first on on this trip. I'll, I'll let you ask me a question about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm just curious now with, you know, the travel bans and all the the hoops we have to go through in regards to, you know, taking the negative COVID tests and all that stuff, like how has been traveling different? Like, you know, obviously planes aren't as full and, you know, how is it traveling? Across oh, planes, the plane was not full at all. In fact, we were in the same row, but we went to different rows so we can have a complete row to ourselves so we can lie down and sleep on some of the flight. Like I, I could have chosen from about 15 different rows. The flight wow. was not full at all uh, to, to, to Germany. However, the flight from Germany to Egypt was, it was a little bit more full. It wasn't at 100% capacity, but there was significantly more people uh, on that flight going into Cairo because it is one of the open countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, open pending, of course, a uh, uh, negative, negative COVID, COVID test. test. Right. And of course, the airlines mandate require you to have a mask on. So everyone's got to wear their mask. And they're, they're, they're pretty good about enforcing it whenever someone has removed it. They'll tell you to put it on. You can only take it off to eat and then you got to put it right back on. Uh, but in Egypt, you know, when we arrived there in, in Cairo, there was a, a health checkpoint. The, everyone's checking temperature, mm-hmm. um, making you use the hand sanitizer. And uh, there were at least two temperature check locations. And then that everyone wants to see your, your COVID test. Right. So show that to everyone. And then we were in the country. Uh, there, there were, there were people in Los Angeles on the way to Germany who did not take their COVID test in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not allowed on. 
Uh, really? I, I had heard their conversation. They thought it's from when you get the results, but it's from when you take the test. So they took the test a little bit too soon. And so they were not allowed on the flight. And uh, the wow. same thing happened in Germany. There was, there was, and, and if there's anyone who's a stickler for rules more than anyone else, it's the Germans. And there's this one lady with her kid who, who was like, maybe one or two hours outside of the 72 hour period. Mm -hmm. She was not allowed in. She was not allowed on the plane. And she was like, it's just one hour. And there's, there's no bend. Sometimes you you just can't bend the rules. Right. 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 And so she wasn't allowed on. And we, I just felt lucky that we were within the, within the timeframe that was required. And then, you know, when we got there, and we're on these excursions. First of all, our excursions are private. There's no one else because they're really limiting it mm-hmm. so that you're not stuck with strangers. You do have a guide and the guide is wearing a mask. And they're, they've also got sanitizer. As soon as you step in the vehicle, they're shooting it on your hands and you got to keep the mask on. And we're going to sites and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to me because like there's me, Jeannie, and no one else. We're wow. at like the pyramids, right? Uh-huh. And there's no one else there. It's like, it's, I don't think that this will ever happen again, that someone can visit the, the, the pyramids and have like no one else in the background of your picture. You can straight up take it and you're the only one in the shot. I don't have to Photoshop anyone out or nothing. Wow. So it was like your own private like moment in that's front of the pyramids. Like. Throughout Egypt, that's what it felt like. Um, well, primarily in Cairo. Uh, uh-huh. And we had gone to many different sites, many different pyramids. And almost every time, if, if, there, if there were people, there were very few people. Right. Not that many. And I have pictures upon pictures of just me or us with no one else in it. And it's just like crazy. Cause I'm thinking this is never going to happen again. So right. as much as I'm like, I, I, as much as I can feel for the people and their economy, how they're hurt based on like low tourism, uh, even though I hear that it's picking up, which is good for them. Their economy has been hit really bad. The people are suffering. They're not making the money that they were. They can't support their families or feed them or whatever. And that's terrible. And I don't want to counter that being like, it's great for me because there's no one else in my picture. But like, right. if, if I'm going to say one silver lining about that, it is that like, we had it to ourselves. Now, I, I, it's terrible what's happening in the, their economy there and anywhere, everywhere. Right, right. But it, 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 it was pretty cool to have it to ourselves. But uh, I, I still got to say it's, it, I, it sucks for their economy. No, absolutely. And I, I think most people can understand. I mean, but it, it's definitely, you know, for you, to, you know, you're allowing the audience to see you know, how it's like traveling nowadays. And, you know, you do have that exclusive moment or feeling where it's almost deserted and you're the only people in this country. Right. And, you know, when we got back, uh, I had to take another COVID test because as soon as we got back, you know, Jeannie, she went back up to Sacramento and Mm -hmm. I was going to Ecuador. That was one of my canceled trips from last summer. And I, January is pretty slow month for me. So I rescheduled it for January. So, Five days after coming back from Egypt, I'm 
I'm on another plane, taking another, uh, taking another negative COVID test or taking another test that was negative, and I'm on my way down to Ecuador. And it's the same story there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I flew out to the Galapagos Islands, and they're telling me that they usually have like 25,000 or so people. Or, or no, they have a town of 50,000 people, and right now it's, it's, it's under 20,000 people. Uh, there's wow. not enough tourists. They, they went eight months without allowing anyone onto the island. People weren't able to work. People weren't able to make money. And so a lot of them moved back to the mainland. And it's only recently that they've allowed tourism to come back up there. But in the meantime, uh, a lot of the animals and a lot of a lot of marine life has come back because it's been like unmolested. It's been untouched for so long. Right. That uh, over there in the Galapagos, they're going to restrict tourism from the month of September and give nature like one month of recovery from no boats, no tours, no nothing. Um, so that, that was and another cool, unique experience too. That's another silver lining you bring up because it's not only happening there in your situation, but I've heard of other places where, you know, a lot of uh, scenic areas are, you know, growing, you know, greenery everywhere because there's not a lot of people. And also, you know, animals are coming back out because of the fact that there aren't a lot of tourists. And and so there's, you know, it's pros and cons of, of everything going on. Yes, the economy is down for those countries and those people, but you know, it seems like on the reverse side, the nature, the, you know, the environment is healing from all of this tourism that we're so that it's so used to. Right, right. So for you, you know, do you have any big bucket trip, you know, bucket list trips that you have yet to go to or or oh. even any upcoming humanitarian trips, you know, obviously with COVID aside after, you know, let's all said and done, we all get vaccinated, you know, and we get to some sort of normalcy, which there isn't going to be back to that normal pre-COVID, but, you know, back to some sort of normalcy. Do you have any bucket list destinations? Oh, totally, man. Totally. And well, first of all, a personal goal of mine is to reach like every country in the world. So awesome. any place that I haven't been is a bucket list place for me, even places that people don't care about. People, mm-hmm. places that people have no intention to go to. I want to go there because I want to go to every country in the world. I want to meet people from every country. I want to eat the food. I want to have the drinks. I want to <laughs> celebrate. I want to get to know people from every country in the world. So that's a bucket list, totally anywhere I haven't been. In fact, uh, um, my next trip, and hopefully things kind of continue on the path to getting better, is mm-hmm. to Qatar and Bahrain. And I know I'm saying it wrong because I watched this YouTube video about how to pronounce Qatar. Is it Qatar? Is it Qatar? Oh, right, right. And the guy on the video is like, it's Qatar. And like, I'm not saying Qatar. I'm saying Qatar or Qatar. <laughs> Qatar, right. So that's not like a dream destination, but I definitely am interested in visiting those two countries and checking it out. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's if things remain normal. But in the meantime, I'm not scheduling any more trips until we're kind of back to normal because it's sense. too stressful mm-hmm. to deal with like COVID tests. Are you going to get the test in time? And now as of last week, Americans need to get a COVID test to come back into the U.S. Yes. So it's like you yes. got to find out where to do that. Are, you, are they going to do it right? Are you going to get that result in time for your flight? And I'm all like, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just I'm, I'm going to wait till things are back to normal before I start traveling again. And yes, I do have humanitarian trips planned, tons of them. I want to go to Sri Lanka. I want to go back to the Philippines. I want to do more water work. I want to do educational work. I want to build a school in the Philippines. I, there's a lot I want to do. 
That's awesome. No, and I know, I know, knowing you, you've been successful with everything you've done. And I have no doubt that you'll be, you know, all your humanitarian efforts that you have for the future are going to be as successful. I mean, gosh, I can talk to you forever, but obviously (laughs) we've got to wrap up uh, as, you know, this podcast goes for a certain length, but thank you so much, uh, DM, for being on today's show and joining us. And if people want to learn more about you again, um, how can they find you? Uh, they can they can visit me on on my travel blog. They can go to facebook.com slash dmworldadventures or they can visit me at silkroadproductions.us. Uh, that's my event production website. And they can learn more about me and the events that we've got going on. A lot of community events, a lot of things that promote Asian cultures and, and, and a lot of different other cultures too. Absolutely. And also, if you want to learn more about DM besides his blogs, you can go visit us at asianvoicesradio.com. Um, also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we would definitely love to hear from you. You can also subscribe as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But of course, until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. And on behalf of my co- uh, until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. And on behalf of my special guest, DM, or Dennis Michael Broussard, We'd like to thank you for listening and please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until then, everyone.